Hi, this is uh, John Ryan with uh, Team Handball News. And uh, joining me up the road in Denver from the Colorado XOs, Mr. Colton Strickler. Colton, how are you doing today? Doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to getting into this. I've been reading up on the, the similarities and uh, I'm looking forward to discussing it all. Yeah, so uh, normally I'd like to go in and, and find out more about the, the person I'm talking to, but contextually to help uh, the conversation here, I'm going to go through a little bit of a spiel of why I'm talking to a rugby guy for a club up in, uh, up in Denver. And uh, some, some of you guys on here know the story. I've told a little bit of my journey, kind of not in rugby, but kind of becoming aware of rugby. And it, it goes way back. Uh, you know, I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. And of course, I played handball, but there was a rugby club that I was extremely envious of because it was very well organized, much larger than our club. I even had friends that say, Ryan, you should play rugby. You'd be, you'd be a killer on those lineouts. But no, nope, handball was my game. Pickup basketball was my game. It wasn't something I was interested in. Many years later, I get stationed in France and the I want to say it was the 2003 Rugby World Cup was on TV. And I'm watching it in French, and I can't fully understand everything. And I'm going into work the next day, talking to the Brits and going like, why are they always kicking the ball out of bounds? It doesn't make any sense, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay. And it all started to make sense to me. And gradually, slowly but surely, I became a rugby fan. So much so that, uh, you know, I went out and saw France at the Stade de France versus New Zealand and then uh, probably went to four or five uh, uh, Stade Francais games, mm. which at the time it was awesome. It was like a 10 euro ticket and I could like stand on the sidelines and drink a Heineken right next to the lineouts. It was pretty cool. Um, and at the same time, I also started my handball website and I got to curious, well, what, what does the rugby community do? And so I listened to a lot of rugby podcasts, followed a lot of rugby websites. And every time I would hear them complaining about USA rugby or rugby needs to do this, I would just laugh and I would, you know, I could, I could just replace it with handball and almost word for word, it would be the same things, the same problems, the same issues. Um, and one of those issues is, uh, is talent transfer that would come up from time to time, taking athletes from other sports and, and uh, converting them into rugby players, which is, of course, something that we've done in handball many, many times. Um, virtually every player, as a matter of fact, is a, is a talent transfer athlete. Um, so I moved, eventually got here in Colorado, started following the MLR, the Major League Rugby, which is a new rugby competition. And uh, I think last year at some point, I, I heard something about the Denver franchise was going to drop out of MLR. And I was kind of bummed because I had kind of thought, you know, I had to go up to a game there sometime. And uh, I, then I heard some podcast uh, talking about how there's a new club instead of uh, the Raptors are going to be called the XOs and they're going to focus on transfer and I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I forgot about it until 
I want to say last Saturday, I'm watching an MLR match. And, you know, I'm only halfway watching it because, uh, you know, kind of like what you were saying, Colt, you can't watch every MLR game on the weekend. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And, and I'm a rugby fan, but I'm not a rugby guy. I'm a handball guy, but I appreciate rugby and I'll, I'll watch it. And I'm, I'm halfway watching it. And all of a sudden they start talking about, oh, yeah, Corey Daniel. You know, he was a wrestler in uh, college and uh, got trained up on the Denver XOs. Great story. And he's, uh, he's called up the, the rugby or the uh, wrestling coach at North Carolina called up Dan Payne and said, hey, you know, you got to take a look at this guy. He's an athlete. And so he got a tryout. He got in ball with the Denver XOs. And now he's playing professional rugby. Uh, which, which team? He plays for Old Glory DC. And he's got like this story. I don't want to jump in just yet. I'll let you finish. But his little brother, Brady Daniel, I was actually playing for the XOs this last year. Okay. So Corey had done a little stint uh, with the with the little they did, a I think, like a little trial run two years ago and got him into a little bit of rugby. And he's he's, you know, playing in the MLR now. He's playing well, too. Yeah. So so immediately I, I go down the rabbit hole. I go, I haven't checked out this Denver XO site in a while. I, I had even, even get this cold and I had contacted because I would listen to several different rugby casts podcasts mm-hmm. and say, you guys ought to do a show on the, on this XO Academy and, and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they never responded. And then I, I go to your website and boom, there's like uh, a whole bunch of webcasts or That's podcasts you're doing on your own. <laughs> That's literally I, my only job is to cover the, the team here. So, yeah. so I, I go, I go on a long hike and I listen to, to three of the, uh, podcasts and uh, I, I really enjoyed them. I listened to a lot of rugby podcasts and I'm just blowing smoke up your butt. You're <laughs> you, you do a better job than the than the wacky guys with uh, God, rugby wrap up. I, oh, mean, yeah. I seriously, I you know everybody's got their own stick and and maybe you know I I just appreciate more of a low key, half fun approach, but not not super wacky. Yeah, and. Uh, but anyway, I found out more about the XOs. I said, I got to contact this guy. I got to see if I can get him on a podcast to find out more about this XO program because maybe you guys have cracked the code for talent transfer and what maybe works for rugby. Maybe there's things that we can learn for handball. So that's that's kind of a long spiel, Colton, but yeah. I, I kind of had to do it to – kind of get you in the mood and get you, get you idea of what I, where I'm coming from. Yeah. I will say, John, I was, uh, when I saw the handball message come in in the Twitter DM, I was like, what is, what could this possibly be about? But I read it and I read, you know, thought about it for a minute or two and I was like, I'll do this. This sounds awesome. So, you know, I, I watched some of the videos you sent. I, I Googled some of the stuff that you told me to look up. I remember listening to the Jay Cutler part of my take, uh, be, being a Broncos guy, I went and uh, I, I was a big fan of Jay Cutler. So I, I try to consume the stuff he's on. And I remember that episode coming out live. And I remember them talking about how his comments kind of made the handball community mad. But I, you know, this was never <laughs> applicable to me until now. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this. And, and like I said, I've been around this XO program really since it began. Um, I can kind of, I guess, give my a little background on me if you'd like. Yeah, let's get a little background on you, your involvement, uh, 
with rugby and, and I guess how you became a rugby media person. For sure. Yeah. So I got into rugby, I guess a little bit earlier than a lot of, you know, other people get into rugby in the sense that I started playing high school and I know that's late, I guess, for some of the other sports, but uh, most of the people I talk to are just like, yeah, I just, you know, played sports in high school. And then I went to college and I stumbled across this sport that was fun to play and, and you get to do, you know, you still get to tackle people and hit people, which is something that you don't really get to do once football's over. And, uh, you know, they have fun parties in college. And so it was just like a good way to meet new people and make friends and try something new. Well, for me, I, I had played football my whole life, uh, going into my sophomore year of high school. That's when some kids at my school started to play rugby here at Glendale. Cause I'm from the Denver area. Um, I went to Wheat Ridge. And so a lot of those guys were coming over here and playing some rugby because they had this nice, beautiful, big facility. And, you know, they were like, you should give it a try. And so I was like, no, I'm not interested in that at all. That sounds like I'm going to get hurt. All this stuff. Football without pads. I'm not going to do that. That was, yeah. that was my reaction. Yeah, exactly. I had just had so, uh, shoulder surgery. So uh, the year before, and I was playing football, but I wasn't really sure, you know, how my shoulder was going to like making tackles. Cause I had some metal in it. Uh, I went out and watched that last game of the 2010, like high school season. And I was like, this actually looks really fun. So the next year came around and, and when it started up again in the spring, you know, I, I thought I'd give it a try. And I just, you know, I ran around for about two, two weeks, two, three weeks, not knowing what I was doing at all. Like sometimes I'm catching, sometimes I'm passing, I'm passing only backwards and actually turned out to be really fun. Uh, we went to, went to a little tournament in California, like really early on in that season and just got smoked, but I got to score a couple of times and had a good time and just kind of realized how fun rugby was. We went and played in uh, the Vegas sevens tournament. There's still a, I think there's still like a lower level. It was while the HSBC, like the international teams are all playing, but outside. Did, did you get a chance to see my uh, story about that? I saw, I read a little bit of it this morning. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah, that was, that was great. Dan Lyle sent me up. I got in the press box. I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow, this is a great thing. They had to do something like this for, for handball for the U S because yeah. it was such a great, and, and I guess now, you know, things have been closed down for a couple of years. So, and they moved it to LA. Yeah. Which, moved to LA. And... But it, it's a great, it's a great atmosphere and a great introduction to, uh, you know, rugby uh, yeah. marketing, rugby. Uh, it, it was just a great event to be at. Yeah. And, and to that point, like I remember going there my junior of high school and being able to play, you know, very loosely in the same tournament as guys from, you know, international rugby players and you could just hang out outside and they'd walk up and talk to you about rugby. And I just thought that was so cool. But during that tournament, we got placed in a bracket that was way too high for our skill level. Like we were playing the USA, like high school, all American teams, team Canada. And we just, I, we didn't even put up a fight, but I played well enough. I got invited to one of the high school American camps like that Easter so I went out to Arizona. I got super sick, so I didn't get to actually try out. But like from there, I was hooked. So finished that season, played football, made me such like a way, way better football player too. like going into my senior year of high school. I just couldn't miss a tackle. It felt like I was in way better shape from playing rugby for eight months leading up to that. Like it just made me a way better high school football player. Uh, when when football's over, I played again my senior year, uh, played some rugby. 
you know, just kind of, you know, saw where it was going to take me to college. I had, you know, thought I wanted to play in college. I didn't play very much longer after that, just because I got a little too many uh, head knocks. I was tired of being hurt all the time. I was tired of taking showers and my skin was burning from playing on this turf. And so, it, and then when I got to college, I had just played sports forever. I was just ready to not do anything anymore and just go to school and be a student. So when I got to, when I got to college, I decided I want to do media, really wanted to write about football until you actually start writing about football and you realize like, this is not fun. I did not like going to that. My first job out of college, I was a credentialed reporter, like covering the Broncos. So I was going to practice every day, going in the locker room. And I hated it so much. Uh, and I remember like in college, my, one of my aunts was saying like, you should start writing about rugby. And I'm like, who's going to want to hear me like talk, read my stuff about rugby. Like, it's just not, there's, it's not big. But I was realizing like I needed an internship to graduate. So it was when Glendale was playing in the PRP. They brought me on, do some social media stuff. And every time we had a project that we had to do, I was like, well, I could just, you know, there's a lot of interesting people that play rugby. I could do this project on this rugby player. And I know nobody else is going to do it. So it's going to stand alone. Like I'm not worried about anyone overlapping my class project. So I started doing that. you know, got it. I worked hard enough with Glendale. They would bring me on for the big seven tournament they have in August, Rugby Town Seven. So I would help out with that here and there. And this was all while I'm doing like this football stuff with my actual day job. And then uh, I quit that football thing because I was just done. And I was like, you know, I don't think I want to be in sports anymore. This is just not what I had pictured it to be. Took a job at a marketing agency and I hated that job too. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, in 20, it has to be 2018. Uh, I helped out with the Rugby Town Sevens in 2017, and while I was there, I met the the former director of marketing for MLR, and he just came down to kind of see how things operated and, you know, see if there was anything he could learn, and he didn't have a car. He was living in Georgia, so I was driving him around just, like, you know, back and forth from the stadium to dinners and stuff, and got to know him pretty well, and he was like, I'm just, you know, with MLR launching in the spring, I'm going to need some help. We're going to be drowning in work. Like, if you want to help out, let me know. Um, we'll be, we'll be able to pay you a little bit. So I didn't talk to him for a couple of months. And then in April of 2018, when everything's getting kicked up, uh, Glendale had like a free preseason match against Nola gold. And I met him down on the field and he was like, I am dying. Like I'm drowning in work. Can you please help me? And so I was like, yeah. So from there, uh, just started working for MLR for those first two years. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. I loved doing that job. I was like the lead writer. So I'd write all the recaps and then they gave me a little feature, a uh, little like column type thing where I would write once a week and I would just like pick out five things from the week that I thought were interesting. And that was like a good way to express, you know, I, I like feature writing and stuff. So it was a good way to like get to know some players a little bit more and try to tell the stories of their season. Uh, wasn't really, you know, looking for a new job, but this opportunity with DNVR kind of came up and it was a, another chance to do my own thing and host a podcast and, you know, cover the the team in a way that, doesn't really exist. Like there's not beat writers for rugby. So to, to be able to come in and do this and uh, get this amount of access has been awesome. And obviously there was a, a couple wrenches in the plans with the Raptors withdrawing from MLR, but uh, you know, they, they had mentioned that when they withdrew that the plan was to further develop American talent. And this has kind of turned into this crossover program, which I think I've gone on the record as saying like, this is the most fun I've had doing work being around these, these guys that have are freak athletes, like some of the biggest people I've ever seen, like biggest, strongest, fastest guys. And like I said, I was in a NFL locker room. So I've seen some big, strong, fast guys before. 
And uh, it's just been fun to see how quickly it's progressed because I've talked about on one of the last podcasts I did. I don't think even within the organization, like I don't think you could ask Mark Bullock, who I've had on my show, who's the director of rugby. That's like the general manager for people unfamiliar. Like, I don't think you could ask them if you would have imagined they'd put six guys into the MLR and one guy back into the NFL within legitimately eight months. Like this started in January. So less than that, seven months, it started in January and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a good transition because that, that was my reaction too. And I, when I heard about this, not, not last week, but maybe a year ago or so when when they were talking about doing this, uh, you know, taking, taking athletes and, and turning them into, uh, professional rugby players count me as someone that was also skeptical and I, I I sometimes know a little bit about rugby to be dangerous maybe a little bit more than just a little bit you know I think yeah. I can talk intelligently about it but it's not like I said it's not my my number one thing but but one thing one thing when uh, I remember talking with uh, with the U.S. Olympic Committee guy mm-hmm. and it was related to the rugby sevens and I knew enough about the differences between rugby sevens and rugby 15s to go like, yeah, you can take a guy like Carlin Isles and he, he just needs to learn a little bit about rugby. And then it's almost like unfair how fast he is compared, <laughs> compared right. to most other people. And, and then they got the, uh, the, the other guy too, uh, the, Perry, the skinny Perry guy, Baker. Yeah, Perry, Perry Baker. And I'm like, going, those guys are going to just, you know, yeah, you can you can take an athlete like that, and you can do that in sevens because it's such a speed game, right? That yeah, I can see the talent transfer. And they had that little TV show. I don't know if you remember America's Next Great Athlete yeah. or something uh, like Olympic that. Well, we actually there's actually two guys on the XOs this year that were on that show. Yeah, and, and for sevens, I my my philosophy was sevens. It's a simpler game. It's less professionalized. Yeah. you know, there's there's you know, the guys are athletes, but they're not, uh, uh, the, the people getting paid for the most part on sevens are getting paid by their national federations as right. part of their Olympic programs. They're not getting paid by professional club teams. I said, yeah, you could do this for sevens, but I don't know for 15s, that's going to be pretty tough. And, and, and don't get me wrong. The, the issue of talent transfer is not, it can't be done. Mm-hmm. It's, how long is it going to take you? Yeah. How long is it going to cost you? And how good of athlete do you have to start out with? Right. And I guess maybe we'll, you can talk a little bit about how you guys initially got started, but yeah. the, the maybe uh, transition into how you recruit these guys to come to Denver. Right. So I guess like just how it got started is I, I was talking to Mark Bullock and he was saying a couple of years ago, there's a big tournament in Aspen every year. It's called Aspen Rugger Fest. And he said that they've, they tried to do this. They did do it successfully. I suppose they just recruited all these guys that, you know, had play, had wrestled, had done all this stuff and said, Hey, you want to come to Colorado for a week, learn to train rugby. And then we'll go up to Aspen. We'll play in this tournament. We'll see how we do. Uh, and he just talked about, it was like a microwave effect. And this actually produced some Raptors as well. Like there was a guy, Chad Goff, who plays for the Utah Warriors now, but he played hooker for the Raptors last year. And that's how he like got 
I was like, he was like in this microwave. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not crossing my stories here, but they took uh, like half guys that had played rugby and half guys that hadn't uh, just trained them for a week, took them up to Aspen. And I think uh, the story goes like they lost the first match pretty handedly, but like you could see the wheels turning in the second match. Like it was a night and day difference and they didn't win, but they took them down to the wire. Was it a sevens tournament or 15? This was a, this was a 15s tournament. Okay. So kind of like took him down to the wire. And then you, you just talked about like over this three match span over the course of the weekend, just like how much better they got. So that was the first, you know, planted the seed. And then when uh, the, they made the decision to withdraw from MLR last year, citing this reason, this was the plan, I, I guess, all along, according to, to Mark and the, the people at the rugby department, like this is what they wanted to do. Uh, and they wanted to do it on steroids. Like they had seen what it, what their little, kind of like half trying for lack of a better term, like what results that produced. And so just kind of wondered why, why not try this? So uh, Peter Pask is the, is the, I think, director of recruitment. He was was formerly the manager and he's kind of taken on this, this recruiting role. He was a guy that went to see, uh, excuse me, CU Boulder back in the day and worked in the recruiting department there. So he knows a little bit about recruiting and he's, uh, he just built this huge, this robust player database last year, I think it seriously had like three to 4,000 players in it. And he just went down, you know, he would pick out schools that, that the Raptors rugby department has had relationships with, like they've had relationships with Louisiana state, like with LSU where they they've been invited down to pro day while they were in MLR and the, they'd be like, Hey, can you give us, let us talk to five or six guys that just, you know, won't make the NFL. So Obviously at LSU, there's, there's the guys aren't making the NFL are, are not bad athletes. They were playing football at LSU. So they would talk to these people, have relationships with Duke and Clemson and all these schools. So just kind of like, I guess with anything else, just like networking and being like, this is what we're trying to do. Uh, do you have any candidates for us you think would be good? Or do you know anybody at this school or other schools that we could talk to about, you know, setting this stuff up? Because uh, I, when I had, and if you, the people that are interested in this and are, you know, interested in the, in the recruiting part, I had Peter Pask on last year, like around September, that's one of the better episodes. And he gets into the weeds. He talks all about this and like what, what he told me that they've learned while they were doing all this recruiting is they've learned that there's not a position at a, at a university that make sure the, the people are okay. Once they leave, they don't, there's nobody that follows up and be like, Hey, do you have a job? And that's not surprising for kids that just go to school. Right. Like that was how it was for me. Once you're out yeah. the door, you're out the door. There's nobody like, Hey, can do you need help? Can we, you know, can we help you polish up your resume or something like that? Uh, but I would think within the athletic department, because it is just a smaller community, you know, ecosystem inside of a school that would exist, but uh, that's something that they don't know. So once they kind of, get out the door they're just you don't really have any way to contact them other than to track them down via social media so that's what the rugby department here did they they went through and and grabbed all these social media handles and just started blasting out messages and uh i don't know what the hit rate on that was but it was enough to get 30 40 guys in here and and see what they can do so that's kind of how the recruiting part the portion went and then what they've seen and what I've seen too, like once the, once players get in here and they start playing and they realize it's fun and they realize that they are being 
taken care of and this isn't a scam. Like if there's been pieces written about this program, like one was in the guardian, I think the lead literally says, yeah, when I got the message, I thought it was a scam. And that was from Gerald McDowell who played defensive line at Ole Miss. And now he is, I think he started at prop every, like every single game for the XOs this year. So once, once people got in here and saw that it was legit and it was for real and people were having fun and it wasn't this big setup and they weren't getting screwed. Then, you know, word of mouth, this guy knows another guy who's looking for something to do. And it just kind of has carried on that way. And I know Peter's been hitting the recruiting hard still, and especially now it's in the summer. So it's off time and they're trying to get people back in. uh, I think they report back on August 2nd for what they're going to be doing in the fall and uh, just kind of is working its way. So a couple, a couple questions. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels between rugby and American football and, yeah. you know, like rugby grew, I mean, American football grew out of rugby and yeah. it, you know, it doesn't take long to watch an NFL game and go like, you know, these, these guys would not every position, you know, they got, we got big, huge linemen that, <laughs> that would right. die in 10 minutes For in sure. a rugby match. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is, is rugby rugby is the obvious primary source. What, what percentage do you think of the guys that you are going for and the guys that come into the program are American football guys? I think, uh, honestly, it's, it's super high, 95, 98% of guys that have played football. But what I think, you know, talking to people and just kind of observing is a, a sneaky good background to have is basketball basketball and wrestling are, are the two guys that are you know two types of athletes that seem to ex- exceed in rugby in, in a quick amount of time and it's because like wrestling is the work rate but you know i know we were before we were started recording we were talking about the, these little drafts that we've been doing at the nvr and when i did the csu one ben pinkleman he went to csu he's uh, playing on the seventh circuit uh, he just had to withdraw from the olympics but uh, he, he commented on that draft and was like the best crossover athletes I've worked with are wrestlers and basketball players, basketball players, because they understand the spatial like awareness. They understand right, right. filling space and leaving space and how to cut to the basket. So that's like the line running and, and rugby. You got to move well without the ball uh, and wrestlers just because they know contact, they know how to hit without pads and they work like crazy. Yeah. So, and, and they're, and, and they're incredibly good shape as well because yeah. you know, you, the academy they make you take every pe class imaginable and i remember doing wrestling and just dying you know because yeah. it was so physically exhausting and but i would say you know the same thing with basketball i played i played football in, in high school and i was pretty pretty decent football player and uh you know that's why i said I, if i if i had played rugby i would have been yeah I don't know, four five six yeah. seven maybe an eight and and yeah. i i you know but it wouldn't have been so much my basketball skills, although I don't think that hurt, but the fact that I also played football right. would have been well. And so like, if you were a wrestler and you played football in high school, but maybe you weren't like a super big, huge guy for American football, but you can run, mm-hmm. you can run 80 minutes, no problem yeah. at a high rate. And you played football. You're going to, you're going to do well. Yeah, the, the football piece obviously brings the contact, and that's like what a hard uh, – I feel like basketball players have a hard time adjusting to is just how much you're getting hit and taking hits and realizing that you can get smacked and be up and be okay. But, but for instance, one of the – one of the, like the crown jewels that's come out of the, 
the EXO program is Julian Robinson. And Julian Robinson, his dad uh, is Glenn Robinson that played for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like he was a yeah. first overall pick. Julian, though, has a wrestling background. Like he, he played football at Purdue. He played defensive line. But I think what's carried him is just like his wrestling background. Like you see the way he tackles people. It's all takedown. It's all single legs. It's double yeah. legs. Like, And I've asked people on the show because there was a big – running debate, you know, who hits harder, Jalen or David Still, who's another guy that's played, is playing for Austin Gilgronies right now. And, and people just, I, I've never seen Jalen go backwards. Like when he hits you, you you stop in your tracks and and he's he's literally like picking you up and he's tipping, taking you back, you know, several steps. And I think a large part of that is his wrestling background. And I think that's where his, you know, t- his work rate comes from too. He can play 80 minutes as a hooker, you know, in the scrum, pushing people and making tackles and, and running the ball really hard because, you know, he's wrestled. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, and, and I think you can you can learn something from almost any sport and bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um, some some better than others, but I think I think just about any sport uh, is going to help bring something to the table, if you will. But but obviously for for rugby, American football is is a prime category. And the, the other thing I think that factors into that is, um, you know, you've got, you've got the NFL, I guess you got the, I don't know, there's some sort of spring league playing now and you got the yeah. Canadian football league. And there's even a few guys that'll go over to Europe, you know, quarterbacks mostly. And, and they'll, uh, they'll get a little bit of a salary over there, but your options are limited. Right. And those rosters are humongous. Right. You know, there's a lot of guys that are just, you know, they're done. For sure. And you think, I know you mentioned the spring league and the connection with the XOs in the spring league is actually pretty cool. So uh, I know talking to Peter was saying that he just wanted to pick the spring league's brain about how they go about getting players. And uh, the guy was actually like, we're supposed to have a showcase in Denver, but our facility just, they just shut it down for COVID. We've looked at your, facility is this something that you'd be interested in and peter was like yeah do we yeah. have free reign to walk through the the hundred guys on the roster and ask them about rugby and the guy's like yeah i don't care so they the spring league came out uh last july and just had a week's worth of practice on the turf and they were out there every day and i know they've pulled a, a significant amount of players from the spring excuse me from the spring league a good eight or nine or ten have played in the spring league and we're like, yeah, we got contacted at this thing and it worked out. So, but to your point, exactly. Like an NFL roster is, there's 53 men, right. And you add 10 to 12 on the practice squad. That's only 65 jobs that exist times 32. That's not, and, and look at the rosters that teams are carrying right now into camp. You have a hundred players. So they're going to literally cut those in half. That's a, that's, you know, that's so many guys that should be doing something. They should not have to go, you know, they're good enough athletes to do something. They just don't know about the other opportunities just yet. Right. Yeah. And and this, this is something too, that, uh, you know, living in Europe for five years, like I did and seeing how they do sports, um, with their pyramid structure with, you know, first division, second division, third division, you know, every athlete has options into their mid twenties to late twenties. I mean, it's a matter of, of how long that they want to, they want to go take it. And, and you do get guys 
Um, and, and I was, I was just talking with, uh, with, uh, Patrick and Ian Huter, uh, earlier this year. And they were talking about, you know, they play in the second division in Germany that you do find some guys that, you know, they, they, they get out of the youth programs and they're not good enough for a pro club, but they keep playing, they keep hacking away and they get good enough. Yeah. And, and so you get a mixture of guys like, you know, that when they're 19, 20, that they, they can't miss and they get that opportunity for a pro contract. But the thing is with the, the way the America pro f- is structured, you've got to be really at the top mm-hmm. to go or you're done. You're done. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, rec league basketball for you or, yeah. you know, uh, flag football competitions. And uh, it's just a different way of, of doing things. And that's sometimes uh, something you really have to explain to Europeans. And, and I assume it's the same way in rugby as well. You know, that yeah. you can, you can keep playing and maybe in your mid twenties say, well, I guess it's not going to happen to me. I kind of still like playing it, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to be done. I'm 26, 27 time to go on. And uh, you know, if my, my regular career, um, but you have that option, you wish you're done. Yeah. You're done at 22. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. And like you said, everybody develops at a different rate. So maybe, and it, and it could just come down to timing. Like I know I have a friend, completely unrelated to rugby, but he was a decent tight end played at the D2 uh, CSU Pueblo. He played down there and and he played well enough throughout his career that he had some NFL looks, but it was all going to come down to his pro day. And he was talking about how he just knocked his shoulder out that, that year and, you know, made the decision to not have surgery and, you know, just risk it. Cause if he, you know, rehabbed and treated it right, he was going to be able to actually partake in the pro day, which was going to be his best option. And, just didn't put up the bench press reps that he needed to. He missed them by five or six to, to get a invite to a training camp. Yeah. And he, and he, he was saying the scouts were like, we really want you to come, but we can't take you with these bench press numbers. And so he's like, you know, it's crazy. I played football for 16, 17 years of my life. And it seriously came down to five or six reps on a bench press. So, you know, that's, it's just the way that that's it, worked out and yeah. you know, it's a bummer, but. So, so, you know, we live in the U.S. That's the way it is in the U.S. You, I, I, I think that's great too. Also, the the that's a lot of grunt work going finding. You know, take. I'm sure this is how it works. You take some guy's name, you you, you plug it into Google, or you, you go into Instagram and say like, "Well, I hope he, I hope he doesn't have some, you know, crazy handle like you know, 29 flyer <laughs> or something," because you're never going to find him. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you can find it with the guy's name. Maybe if he's got an obscure name, it's a little easier too. Yeah. And but you multiply that by you said like, you know, thousands of guys. That's a lot. That's a lot of grunt work tracking these people down. That's kind of a benefit, I guess, from COVID is there was nothing else going on. Like they had the opportunity, they had the time every day to sit down and dig through the entire internet to find these people. One other aspect too, in handball, they would do these uh, shotgun emails and they would get a really poor response rate. Um, You know, and I think maybe for all you know, it might be those emails from their college that maybe they still aren't connected to. Yeah. But what about, one one thing I've always thought too is, uh, you know, a personal touch, you know, Mm -hmm. where you can like, you can show, hey, I know your name. Yeah. Hey, I, I know what you did in your career. I know, uh, I know what your skills are. 
And this is why I think you'd be a good rugby guy. Is there, is there any of that yeah, personalization sure. to help improve the recruiting? For sure. I don't just talking to Peter. It's like, like I was mentioning earlier, it's a lot of networking. So if they're talking to a strength coach at this school, you can be like, Hey, you know, Hey John, I talked to the strength coach at air force Academy and he, you know, he had really great things to say about you, you know, and I know that you have this opportunity doing this, but if that ever slows down and you want to give rugby a try, like hit us up, we, we are paying, you know, uh, X basketball, X football, X, wrestlers to you know to learn rugby and you know potentially represent the united states at the highest level you know in the olympics in the world cup and that's that's kind of how they've gone about doing it and like i said i'm not sure as to what the hit rate is um you know i, I could probably report that back to yeah you. i just well you know maybe maybe yeah, i'll definitely listen to that that uh yeah podcast you did with peter yeah and that's who a knows, good maybe one. i'll hit, hit 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 him up as well because I, i've always been curious as to uh you know some of the different techniques that could be used but perfect transition. You say, Hey, we're paying these guys money. Yeah. Where are you getting the money to pay for these guys? Yeah. So I think the way that this is set up here, this is This is funded by the city of Glendale. This is rugby town USA. So I know that pays not a lot. Um, if I had to put a guess on it between like a grand and 1500 bucks a month, but like a pretty standard thing in the MLR and with, and, you know, I think just with rugby, like across the world is like housing is, is included in that. So, you know, if you go to any MLR team, like the MLR team is probably, you know, covering your apartment, you have a roommate. Um, but that, that's kind of like, I think that's a, a big piece of it too, is like, you don't have to worry about getting a place to stay just yet. Well, but, but, uh, we won't go into, well, maybe we'll get into MLR because I have a lot of yeah, questions yeah, yeah, there yeah. earlier. But what, what are the Denver or the Colorado XOs doing? So, yeah, that's – what do you mean by that? Well, you, are you guys paying salaries comparable yeah. to the MLR? Um, I th- well, I, I, this is where I'm not like an expert because I'm not yeah. in on the money side of it all, like at, at all. Uh, and and though I feel – I figured that the money is, is hard to get to the bottom of in, in MLR too, just the way that it's – It's hard to get to the bottom of in any sport. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's – even the people that you, that know don't want to talk about it and, and yeah. the players don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, based it, on the answer, I'll give you an answer though. So like based on my understanding, what they're getting paid, the XOs are getting paid is comparable to what you would be making at like the bottom tier level of MLR, which I guess by definition is where they would fall because they don't know how to play rugby. So great. That, that's my understanding. I, like I said, I, it's, I feel like it's anywhere between a grand and 1500 a month. And the way that the rugby contracts are set up across the United States is like, you're on a six month deal because once, you know, like once the MLR final ends, everyone is free to go play rugby somewhere else. Cause they need to make a living, right. They need right. to go. And, well, and so and, and I guess that's the other question too, uh, you know, in, in, with the XOs, um, you know, they're tr- training daily uh, and, and, and strength training, rugby training. How, how does that work? Yeah, so I, their, their schedule is something along the lines of they have two practices a day. They're practicing four times a week, most weeks. Uh, obviously, in season, this is summer, so nobody is, is around. But uh, they, they get up, they have like a practice in the morning, then they usually lift have lunch, have like a film review, have meetings, all that good stuff, go back out for the afternoon, have another practice. And they're usually off. And then Wednesday is usually the day that just 
free to themselves. They have a you know day off and, you know, Friday's usually a travel day or if they're playing on a Sunday, they'll travel on Saturday. And then they obviously squeeze in the matches on the weekends. Wow. So I guess that was, that was my next question, whether the schedule allows for, you know, a side job. How does that work? I think with, there's obviously a lot of guys on the team as with rugby in anywhere in the United States that have side gigs. And so if you, you know, like, Hey, I can do this half a day, but I need to go work. Like, obviously that's allowed. Um, but a lot of guys, like we I've noticed is like, there is a decent amount of guys that have played pros, like they've been in the NFL for a year or two. So they're not necessarily like desperate for money right now. They're just looking for a way to stay in shape and do something. And so that I feel like that's the case with a lot of guys too, but you know, obviously any chance you can get to make some extra money, they would allow that. Sure. Um, and you guys, you said you're funded by the city of Glendale. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's city funded. Wow. And how many, how many guys on the XO roster? Uh, I think this year it ranged anywhere from 30 to 35. So, wow. and then obviously there's sponsorship that alleviates some of that pressure. Right. Like there's a sponsorship person here that, you know, is selling the, like any other sports team, you know, kit sponsors, protein sponsors, all that good stuff. So, yeah. So that's, it's still a little surprising, you know, with the MLR, you know, they're selling tickets. There's, you know, generally there's probably some investor that, you know, owns the team that's probably shelling money out of his pocket to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's part of a MLR, a, a thing that's, you know, hopefully going to be bigger, but with the Colorado XOs, it's more of a kind of a thing off on your own. Yeah. That was like a big, you know, kind of like a scary thing to leave, like taking that leap right for them is to, to leave the the sanctity of having like guaranteed matches and having, you know, teams that have to play against you and doing this own thing. Like you don't know where this is going to end up, but they've been very vocal about the plans of trying to, just kind of like seeing where it goes, you know, like they have, a, they ideally would like to link up in, in Europe or something like that and, and join one of these competitions. But like, you know, especially early on, they're just, you know, wading the water, seeing what's working out and what, what adjustments they can make and just seeing, you know, where, where it ends up. Well, so who do, who do the Colorado XOs play now? Yeah. So they play the way that it's been described to me is their Notre Dame, like they'll play anybody, but this year, especially it's been, it's been uh, a lot of MLR Academy teams. So MLR is incentivizing, you know, clubs and organizations to get Academy teams. They get cap relief and all that good stuff if they Uh, check these boxes. So this year uh, they played the new Orleans RFC, which is a club team that feeds into the gold like Academy. So that I guess you could be like a two steps down from MLR. They played, uh, Atlanta four or pathway four four, excuse me, which is rugby ATL's Academy side rugby HTX. That's Houston Sabercats Academy side, okay. uh, mystic river, which feeds into the free Jacks, which is in new England. They played the Los Angeles loyals Academy, which is the Giltini's Academy side. They played okay. them three times. All right. well, it gives, it gives yeah. me a picture, you know, kind of almost like a, kind of like an independent baseball league, uh, minor league team. You play the best teams you can, and, and, and I guess that's the other, well, actually one other part. Has there been any talk about like USA rugby 
you know, looking at what you guys are doing and saying, well, you know, this, this, maybe there ought to be some sort of relationship uh, right. feeding into that, you know, cause you know, eventually some of these guys might, you know, become uh, Eagles. For sure. And that's a great question. Uh, so with USA rugby's had some restructuring and with that, they've kind of like linked up with city of Glendale, like they're based in Glendale now. And that's a benefit of this, this program benefits off of that because, you know, what I've seen on a couple of occasions during the season, Gary Gold, who's the U S men's 15s coach, like he's just around. So if they're out practicing, like he'll go out and jump and practice and see some people. And yeah. uh, they went through a little right before they left for the summer, they went through a, a little combine thing, like worked out for USA coaches. I feel like those numbers and all that good stuff like led into a lot of these guys signing with MLR teams. So there is some crossover there. Obviously they're still very, they're still way too raw to jump straight into international rugby, but the, sure. the there is some connection there and it's at least a, a good idea. You know, it gives the, it gives the national coaches and, and the people, the selectors, like an idea of what's coming up and what the potential is. And so I, I have heard that they have, when, you know, this whole started and when they were starting to come out and watch, they could go down and be like, well, yeah, we would 10 of these guys are stronger than our whole team right now. So they, they see the potential, but obviously there's a lot of work to do before they're ready to go play international rugby. Yeah, you know, with handball, you know, basically our national team was in, in some respects the Colorado XOs, except yeah. there was nobody to play in the U.S. Right. I haven't you know, and, and so, handball, so. <laughs> so, so back in the day, they used to uh, fly to Europe to play uh, club teams and national teams to get that competition. But rugby's developed enough in the U.S. that there's available competition that you guys can go play. But I guess that's a whole other thing. You got to travel to go play those guys. Yeah. You guys got a nice little budget to be able to do all those things. Yeah. Like I said, the, the, I don't know much about all that stuff. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the, you know, you talked about these guys being raw, but maybe not so raw that they can't make an MLR roster. Mm -hmm. And that to me was, uh, uh, kind of a surprising thing, you know, what, what, what kind of, uh, coaching that you guys, are you guys pulling off that you guys can see such rapid improvement with at least four guys making MLR rosters, right? Yeah, I think, so I think the number as of today, today's Friday, I think it's up to six guys, but it's just, I think a lot of it is just being able to train twice a day to being able to train eight times a week, getting them into a daily training environment, um, but the the program here, like the rugby department, like Mark Bullock's been coaching rugby in the United States for like 40 years. So, you know, he has a decent idea of all this stuff. He used to coach high school football uh, in Washington and in, in Colorado. So he see he's done this, like, like I said, he's done this on a, a smaller scale level, even than going back to high school. Uh, Luke Gross, he, he's an assistant coach. He uh, played basketball at Marshall. I think he played at Indiana State and he was the same way. He's like, I just tried rugby in grad school and I, he was, he's huge. He's six, eight, I think. Right. He played in, in Italy, played in Wales. Uh, so he, he has a decent idea of the crossover aspect of it all. And I think if I'm not mistaken, everybody else on the roster was an Eagle at some point or everyone else on the coaching staff was an Eagle at some point. So they, they, 
they have a decent idea of, you know, rugby, the history of it in the United States and what it takes to get to the national side. And so it's, and again, th- those guys know what they're doing. This is their yeah. full-time job. Again, I know you don't know the finances, but I'm like yeah. going, somebody's got to be paying these guys to be teaching these guys. Right. Yeah. Then they're city employees. So obviously there's a, there's a youth component <laughs> built into it. So there's camps and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. It sounds like a great operation. And I'm like, um, there's something like this is needed for handball. I just don't know exactly how it worked. I guess the other aspect is that the existence of the MLR provides a pathway for them to go to. Exactly. Um, and, and, And that didn't exist before in making the leap from, an American club to overseas, a little, little tougher uh, logistically to execute. Uh, you, you need like a work visa for one. Right. Yeah. And exactly. That's the, I think that's a reason why this is, is working, you know, a little bit, I guess, as well as it is, as quickly as it is, because there is proof like, look, you can do, you can, there's something to go do after this. Like you're not just stuck here, you know, waiting around for, a potential call up. Like if you get in here and you play well enough, you can get a contract playing in the MLR, right. you know, there is a, there is a pathway. And then obviously when you get an MLR and, and you're playing on TV a lot more and you're, you know, you're playing in front of different people that could potentially see you and all this good stuff. And there's been already been instances of MLR guys getting pulled over to go play in Europe and vice versa. So they're just, they're, you're right. There is a pathway and people are starting to see that the opportunities exist in rugby. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, we, we talked about a little bit about this. Uh, this might be a good spot to wrap up this section and we can discuss whether we want to talk again on another day yeah. or, uh, continue on. Um, and I think you had some handball questions that I you want to ask. Questions. <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I should wait till maybe we'll, we'll, we should move that into the second one. Otherwise this will become like a hour and a half marathon, which yeah, whatever you decide, I'm, I'm free <laughs> today. So I can, I could do this. Uh, well, that's excellent. So I tell you what, yeah, we, like I said, I've been listening and talking with chatting with, Colton Strickler of the Colorado XOs. We'll consider this uh, part part one of the podcast. So for Colton Strickler, uh, this is John Ryan, and thanks for listening.